0: you're listening to the feed
1: this is the feed
0: this is the feed the feed you're listening to the
2: feed in markham in richmond hill you're listening to the feed in Vaughan.
1: in
3: stoville
2: in woodbridge in Unionville.
3: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, the experts weigh in on how to safely reopen the border. A day in the life of a flight attendant also ahead. Parents share their plans to creatively celebrate Halloween, but what happens after the scary costumes and candy are gone? The Retail Council of Canada recently issued an urgent press release with a headline that read, 12 weeks of Christmas, retailers speed up holiday plans in a daunting year. With more on what the Council is seeing and doing about the crucial spending time leading up to the holidays is President and CEO Retail Council of Canada, Diane Brisbois. Thank you for joining us on the feed. And let's talk about how urgent that message is that retailers really have to get with it, get going, and even pivot and change the way they're going to market themselves this holiday season.
2: Absolutely. It's uh, crucial because everyone has been struggling and certainly retailers in a lot of categories have not seen as many shoppers in their stores. So pivoting is key, changing your marketing, um, making some changes to merchandising will also be extremely important for retailers to be successful this holiday season.
3: And what about the timing? We are just now well out of Thanksgiving weekend. Is this typically when the holiday season, marketing, and and, and advertising begins?
2: Well, it's a bit earlier than in past years, and that is specifically because retailers have been telling us they want to make sure that consumers are shopping earlier. And shopping safer. So, trying to avoid lineups and also try to avoid being disappointed because we know that in some categories, not that there are shortages, but there are a limited amount of goods. And so, doing it early, doing it safely is uh, the message that we're hearing from all our retailers.
3: Diane, how has COVID 19 changed or transformed the Christmas
2: shopping season? I god um you know it's difficult to say how, in the sense that there's no playbook to look back to our past experience, but certainly um health and safety will be number one uh, so social distancing, wearing masks, uh planning better uh doing your research on your product and Obviously, uh, as uh, everyone expects, online shopping will increase as we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic. Those are the big changes this year.
3: You know, challenges faced by the retailers include fewer in-store visits, as you mentioned, much smaller holiday gatherings uh, because we are being told at this point that is what we are going to be facing perhaps when it comes to that particular time of the year. And it also means a decrease in impulse buying, expensive gift giving, and maybe even fewer gifts for fewer people.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because we've been watching consumer behavior, and while we saw a dip in discretionary spending during the height of the pandemic, we really saw it come back late summer and early fall. So it's interesting, I think, because people want to show uh, appreciation and love. We've noticed that they are shopping again. They're just shopping differently, but they are increasing their discretionary spending, and we expect to see that going getting closer and closer to the holiday season.
3: And yet a survey was released earlier this week that says that Canadians who were asked will spend almost 31% less than they did before on this holiday season.
2: Yes, and I suspect that there will be uh, a lot more surveys. Uh, try to figure out what consumers are going to do. If you've been in retail long enough, you know that it's week by week. It really will depend on what happens from now to the holiday season. Will people be spending less? Probably a bit less. We suspect, though, that 30% may be uh, on the high side. We think that people will still... Um, shower their loved ones with special gifts and also buy themselves uh, things that will make them feel better during these challenging times.
3: How concerning is it for consumers as they understand there is the threat of perhaps another full shutdown of the economy. At this point, many areas in Ontario, some of the hot spots, are in a partial rollback to stage two. But there is yeah. that threat of a full shutdown of the economy again if things spiral out of control. Does that weigh on the consumer's mind?
2: It does. It weighs on consumers and it weighs obviously on all the businesses affected, and in this case, retailers we are all hoping is that we as Ontarians, as Canadians, listen to public health officers and really take uh, the virus seriously by wearing facial coverings, by social distancing and washing your hands regularly. Doing that will make a big difference in consumers' lives and also will help our retailers tremendously because they'll be able to remain open and continue to serve customers in a healthy and safe way.
3: Are you seeing a lot of purchasers moving to online uh, buying at this point?
2: In fact, it was like a tsunami uh, when the pandemic hit. Uh, We saw growth In online, that we had predicted would happen over a two-year period. So, in two years, push that into like three months. Um, Online sales represented maybe eight percent of total purchases in Canada last year, and we're predicting that it's about 15% now and growing. steadily. not that peak we saw the first three months, but it continues to be extremely popular, and that's where a lot of our small to mid-sized retailers have done a good job at pivoting and building their e-commerce sites to attract more customers.
3: Could this shift in behavior mean the demise of the bricks and mortar store?
2: You know it's interesting. I've been asked that question often. Um, there's no question that right now brick and mortar stores are challenged, especially the stores found in malls in enclosed malls. But in speaking to our retailers, they are telling us customers do want to come back into their stores. The question here will be How does the retailer pivot in order to make the store attractive, uh, having the right merchandise, offering the right services so that customers have a choice to order online, pick up in-store, do curbside pickup, or make an appointment via an app, or simply just wait and be able to come into the store? So there was a question about capacity, but people are still telling us they miss not um, being able to go to the store, and they want to go into the stores.
3: Do you have examples of companies, uh, big or small, uh, who have successfully uh, pivoted, that that oft-used word at this point, but have made the changes necessary to make the buying experience just as good as it can be in spite of the pandemic?
2: Oh, there are tons of examples but we were in fact talking to a, a smaller retailer who uh last week who put in an app uh provided uh, the app to all of her customers uh, and provided information on the website on how to use the app how to make appointments and is also using the phone an old method to connect with customers to increase that personalization what she also did is increase the kind of merchandise that she had like she had high-end kind of office clothing and very casual clothing and what she did very quickly understanding that people would be working from home is increase her buy in the casual clothing decreased her buy in the more upscale clothing to adapt, and she did that very quickly. And she's staying very close to customers, listening to what they need, and adapting uh, daily when necessary. And she has seen tremendous growth in her business. Challenging for for some, but I can tell you they're stepping up and they're being extremely innovative.
3: There is a drugstore chain uh, that is in certain parts of Canada and in uh, wintertime very chilly parts of Canada, I understand London Drugs has gone above and beyond to try to make the in-store or outside-of-store experience as pleasant as possible.
2: Yes, they have. In fact, uh, London Drugs and a few of the retailers we've been uh, speaking with have been telling us that they're even building... A special uh, walkways with heaters, so that if people have to wait because the store reach capacity, they'll be covered and there'll be heat. They're also going to be providing uh, water bottles, uh, coffee stations, and so retailers are thinking, what would that experience be if I was the customer? How do I make it uh you know more enjoyable? And if I have to wait in line, what do I do to ensure that the customer is kept warm, is kept safe, is kept dry? So there are a lot of really great things, I think, that we're going to see.
3: Sounds like it is expensive to make these changes, and I would think that these costs come out of the retailer's pocket Mm -hmm. in order to make this a better experience for the purchaser, hoping that it encourages them to buy. Is that correct? Are they getting support from some other area, or is this coming out of their their bank books?
2: Yeah, this is coming from their bank book. This is uh, retailers investing and, as you said earlier on, pivoting to uh, to ensure that they can make their customers comfortable. So, yes, it's not inexpensive. Some provincial governments have provided small retailers and small businesses with some grants and uh, funds to cover some of the um, equipment that they've needed for their stores, but generally in most cases it's coming out of the retailer's pocket.
3: So many months we're into this pandemic and a lot of people are now working from home. They're not traveling. They're not spending as much yeah. money uh, as they might have. Does that mean that they have more money to spend this holiday season?
2: Well, the, it, it all depends really on uh, the state of work and the number of Unemployed. There's no question that there are more people unemployed now versus pre-COVID, so that impacts people's ability to spend on discretionary items. But generally, we have seen that those who are still working, but working from home, have shifted. As you know, in many cases, they're not going to restaurants, and if they are, it's mostly through delivery or pickup. So, and they're not traveling. Uh, they're not vacationing on a cruise ship or south. So that money is shifting. It's gone two places, one, in their savings account or paying their bills, and two, in discretionary spending. Uh, and that's why we've seen uh, retail sales rebound in in uh, in May and June, and we expect the numbers July and August to be very strong as well.
3: Diane, how important is holiday spending in the overall scheme of things, economically speaking?
2: Economically speaking, it is the strongest period of the year where there's the most activity. And I can tell you that for some retailers in specific categories, this is a make or break. So they may be breaking even or losing a bit of money throughout the different seasons of the year, But usually the holiday season is what keeps them afloat and allows them to keep their employees and to invest in their business. So this is extremely important. And, you know, in two weeks, uh, it may represent the volume that you would make in over two to three months. Mm. So um, we're hoping that... Everyone is safe, but everyone is um taking care of themselves, but also that they are going to enjoy the holidays, and we hope that they support our our merchants across the country
3: Diane you've been at the top of retail Council of Canada for twenty five years plus Have you ever seen yes. anything like this before
2: never, never never uh this is This is why it's been so challenging. For all of us because as I said earlier on there's no playbook we can't go back to oh well do you remember 1993 or 2005 nothing like this ever happened and because we don't know uh, what it will look like three six or twelve months from now it's extremely challenging for everyone a lot of uncertainty but I can tell you if you're in the retail you are eternally hopeful and optimistic so um, they will continue to shoulder on and, and work within a very challenging environment. But, no, we've never seen anything like it before.
3: Diane Brisois, the President and CEO of Retail Council of Canada, thank you for joining us on the feed.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
3: Retail therapy may be exactly what some employees could use these days because, according to a new survey, many professionals are feeling drained and burned out. Tina Cortez with those details. Michael French is the
0: regional VP of Robert Half Canada. Welcome to the feed, Michael. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's start with the headline, and maybe you can explain it for us. 33% of workers are more burned out than a year ago. I must admit, I thought it would be higher.
4: Surprisingly, so did I. I thought it would be substantially higher.
0: Now, can you tell me, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty about the details of this survey, was there at least initially or in the early days of the pandemic, those who believed that you were, if you were working from home, you were hardly working and you couldn't possibly be stressed out?
4: Well, I think that is such an old way of thinking and it did exist in the very early days of the pandemic. But once we got into the sort of the third or fourth week, I think employers realized that people can be just as productive, if not more productive at home, and we started finding some great efficiencies.
0: So what can you tell us about the findings?
4: They're quite interesting. When it came to men and women, 36% of women and 31% of men said they are that burnout was on the rise. So a bit higher in women versus men.
0: Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? Do you do you know? Could the survey tell you?
4: So we didn't specifically ask that question, but what is, is, is interesting, I think it comes down to sort of some family and some household duties at the same time, sort of balancing both the professional and personal lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what about those who don't have families or don't have kids around the house? How did they fare in the survey?
4: Well, this is what shocked me. 34% of people with children and 31% without children said that they were equally burnt out. So it was kind of uh, equal. No difference.
0: And what did you hear from managers? What are their concerns?
4: Well, there's great concern with managers that their employees are going to be burnt out and they're going to lose them.
0: And so what do you do? How do you keep good employees?
4: It comes down to a lot of really strong management where you have to protect your employees' times. You need to make sure that your employees know what the priorities are. You have to make sure that no one's exhausted. Communicate with them efficiently and on the right, right schedule. And at the same time, make sure everyone feels special and important.
0: Now, in terms of those who are working from home, you know, and they're feeling the stress, they're feeling the burnt out, Really, what choice do they have, right, especially in a climate where so many have lost their jobs? What else can they do? They have to deal with it, as they say.
4: Well, and there is so much unknown right now, but there there are a few tricks. The first thing comes down to making sure you are doing a very good job prioritizing your work, And your family. So some people are going to what's called windowed working, where at certain times you're doing different tasks, whether it be family tasks or household tasks or work tasks. The other one is when you are falling behind or feeling stressed or need to talk, make sure you speak up. Mm -hmm. Another great one is actually take a break. If you're in the office, you'd commonly go for a coffee and sit and decompress with somebody. That's just as important at home. And the other one is take your time off to recharge. We cannot keep going at the same pace every day without taking time to relax.
0: Really good points there. Now, how can employers prevent or at least monitor burnout?
4: So you have to watch for missed dates and deadlines. You have to watch for quality of work. And it's very important making sure your customers are receiving the high-level service that they've always, always expected.
0: And is there anything that employers can do to e- equip employees and prepare them for working from home, working remotely, and this ongoing new normal?
4: So that's a great question, and there's been a lot of things that have been talked about. The first thing is making sure people have the ability to schedule their lives as they're happening. Everyone's on a different schedule right now, and we have to accept the fact that life happens everywhere. The other one is people have to have a comfortable workstation and work, work situation. Some employers are letting people take home their computer gear, take home their chairs. So there's lots going on like that, making sure people have a productive work environment.
0: Do you think uh, things are going to change as uh, we get into the back end of 2020 and into 2021?
4: That is a question I get asked every single day, and unfortunately, I don't have a real answer. I think we're going to be in this scenario for a while. Uh, I by no means as a scientist or have a crystal ball, but from what I hear from many organizations, they're anticipating at least six more months of a similar scenario. We heard numbers climbing every day from the premier, so that's not a good scenario for us to be in.
0: If our listeners want more information about this survey, where can they find it?
4: best place to go is roberthalf.ca. There is a ton of information there on lots of the great surveys that we do.
0: Michael French, Regional VP of Robert Half Canada, thank you for joining us on The Feed. Thanks for having me. When we come back, a
3: day in the life of a flight attendant. This is 105.9 The Region. You're listening to The Feed.
5: Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region.
3: Welcome back to the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. The airline industry has been hit hard by the pandemic. Air Canada offering to buy Air Transat. Now, that has been dropped from 720 million to 120 million. WestJet is now scaling back its routes to Atlantic Canada and Quebec City. And Porter has once again moved its restart date, this time to December 15th. But there are those who can stay in the air. Rory Peterzali has been a Canadian flight attendant for 35 years. He has flown through many world events, including 9-11. When the pandemic was declared in March, he made at that time the decision to again keep on flying. He joins us now on the feed. Thank you for being with us, Rory.
5: You're very welcome, man I'm very, very happy to be to, to spend some time with you as well.
3: So let's talk about the the decision to continue to fly. The pandemic was declared in early, mid-March. Was it said to you, we want you to fly, or did you go to Air Canada and say, I want to fly?
5: Um, it was um, my decision to continue flying. I could have taken time off. They offered all the employees um, to make that decision on their own. I just knew that there would be a lot of safety measures put in place and um, that I did have the capability to refuse a flight um, if I deemed that it wasn't, wasn't something that I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, the, the, the best part of it was that we did a lot of uh, rescue flights, so bringing people back home to Canada, and uh, that was very, very rewarding.
3: Oh, I can imagine. And and let's talk about the safety protocols that were put in place inside the cabin, even for the rescue flights, but then as time went on, they learned a little bit more about how to protect passengers and crew. But what are the safety protocols that are in place in cabin?
5: Well, in, even I'll just go a little step beyond that, and even before... In flight, so even before anyone gets on the aircraft, um, the planes still are and always have been um, during this whole COVID crisis um, sanitized from seat uh, seat belts to uh, cabin windows, shades, armrests, light switches, the air circulation controls. Anything that a passenger would touch um, was fogged and uh, actually, you know. Personally, cleaned with a with a lot more care. Um, in regards to what we were doing uh, during the early uh, early stages of COVID, we actually did pretty much nothing. We were there for safety and safety only. Um, contact with passengers was very minimal. Um, we did no service at all, which was kind of Crazy, because, you know, my whole life has been service, service, let's get the passengers what they like. And all of a sudden now it's like, stay out of the cabin, you know, stay safe um, and keep your passengers safe. So we served nothing but water. And eventually and very quickly, Air Canada created a clean care kit, which um, consisted of gloves and a mask, a bottle of water, dispenser, uh, there are little wipes, a hand sanitizer, a little bottle of hand sanitizer, then later on added in pretzels and headsets. So we would do one complete service, um, and then we would do our patrols because we had to do our safety patrols. But besides that, that was all that we were doing during the uh, early stages of, uh, of COVID in-flight.
3: And, Rory, how did you protect yourselves?
5: The company... Did amazing for us. Um, we were given masks, of course, gloves, and we were given gowns, glasses, a shield, and uh, of course, inside we had a canister full of extra gloves and uh, sanitizers and um, wipes. So we, and it was very. At first, all we had to do was was wear the mask, and then the gloves came in. That we had to wear the gloves, and then we have the gowns um, that uh, are disposable after every flight. So, you know, and again, as I say, the the glasses, the masks. So we're uh, we're pretty protected as much as we can be protected in the environment that we're uh, that we're in.
3: So, what's been the reaction from passengers when they would see you in full gear and? You know their their own concerns about their own safety, but also seeing you so well protected <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah it, it was it was funny when people came on board and saw you know it it, it looked like a, a little kind of research center or a little you know a science experiment room that that because uh, we were all all dressed up, but you know they totally understood the the protocol that Air Canada had asked um, us to 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 do and passengers to follow. So like passengers had to wear masks. Um, That came later on in, in the, in the COVID uh, scenario, but um, they listened to us. They knew that, you know, we were there for, for safety. And we were there to make sure that they got from point A to point B safety and healthy. So anything that we would ask, it was great. They would, uh, you know, we asked for minimal movement in the cabin, We asked for them to remain in their seats. Um, If they did need anything, please give us a call. Um, Just avoid movement in in the cabin was was a huge uh, protocol that we asked them to do. But you know what, Anne? They understood exactly what was going on and abided by everything that we requested.
3: So what is it like now? We are in the middle of... October, we're seeing the numbers on the rise again. Uh, there is a little bit of uh, trepidation on the part of many in Ontario. What are, how is it now? What what is it like for you in the cabin now? And how are passengers responding? And are they flying as much as they were when the pandemic began?
5: You know the, our our passenger um, our passenger audience has has increased in the last uh, over over the summer. Now I mostly fly domestic right now. I used to fly overseas, um, but I chose to uh, I chose to fly domestic, as you know, you used to be a flight attendant, so we bid for our flying and our groups that we'd like to go to so i'm just sticking to um, to turnarounds uh, just because I have a family that i I look after, so you know safety for me and health health for me is very important but you know, we've increased the service a little bit on our international flights. We will hand out like a a box a, a box lunch, and in business class, it'll be a, a warm box lunch. Domestic hasn't really changed a lot, just because of everything. With domestic, was buy on board, and they just don't want any transactions with credit cards and and machines. So, but um, it's it's. More relaxed because people are becoming more aware of what is expected when they're on the flight. You know that the masks are mandatory, Um, and again, you know we we don't take any we don't take anything for granted. It's we we are very serious in in when we fly to make sure that the passengers are abiding by the regulations that Air Canada and the government has uh, set to do
3: and with all of this and in spite of all of this and you and i both agree it is so much fun to fly is it still fun for you and is it still a pleasure for passengers
5: you know what it i think it's a pleasure for passengers because they still get to go from destination a to destination b and that may be kids coming you know from from school or you know going to see your loved ones across the ocean or across the country i love it still you know it's It's a new norm for now, (laughs) but, you know, every day is a new norm when you fly because you, you have, you know, stories to tell all the time. And so, yeah, you know what? I love it. I still love it. I always will love it. There's 35 years in the business and, Every day is a different day, so it's always exciting.
3: You're terrific, and that expression, come fly with me, I would do that any time, based <laughs> on all the things that you've just said. Roy Petersoli, thank you so much for joining us on the feed.
5: Thank you, and you have a great day.
3: You too, thanks. the border between the US and Canada is essentially closed but what should the reopening plans look like afwa ba with that answer well, the Canada-U.S.
6: border has been closed since mid-March, since the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, if and when the border reopens, will Canada be ready? Now, with a look at how the border closure has affected basically both sides, uh, both countries rather, and what it means to Canadians, specifically during this second wave, I'm now speaking with Associate Professor of Industrial Engineering at UFT, Diana Allman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Okay, so first off, um, just if you can give me a general overview of what the current border restrictions are, because there was an announcement that uh, made a a little bit of a change to the border closure, so there might be a little bit of confusion, so we just want to clear the air as to what those border restrictions are right now for Canadians.
7: Um, Well, I'll just, you know, describe them as I broadly understand them, which uh, is, you know, coming from not any more additional information than what the general public has, and That's just that the border is closed uh, for non-essential travel. Anything work-related is often allowed in. And, of course, any Canadian citizens are always allowed to return back to their country, but they have to engage in a mandatory uh, self-isolation of 14 days upon return.
6: Perfect. Okay, so now now that we've set the tone, now that we know sort of uh, the dynamics in terms of what is allowed and what is not, what needs to be done in order to safely reopen the border? What are the first steps that Canada needs to take? Well, the biggest
7: thing is ensuring that travelers who come back are, in fact, um, completing their 14-day self-isolation in the way that public health defines self-isolation. So that means that you go directly from the border to wherever you're staying, whether it's your home or a temporary apartment near the airport or, or anywhere. Um, you don't stop to collect groceries you don 't stop to say hello to people or check in on anything you just go right to where you're staying and you don't leave for fourteen days so you have to arrange for somebody to bring you food or you order take in uh, take out delivery not take out but just delivery uh, brought to your brought to your house uh, but you just cannot leave for fourteen days and I think a lot of people struggle with understanding what that actually means like it, it really does mean no you cannot stop at the grocery store on the way in so you have to make a lot of extra preparations um, as you come back to Canada in order to to fulfill these requirements and then on the you know public health side um, and on the provincial um, I mean, federal government side there has to be um, some way to check in on these people and to enforce um, those quarantines.
6: So the federal government recently announced that they are allowing family members who are in the U.S. to come into Canada, um, as well as those who may be in long-term relationships to also cross the border. Do you think maybe that announcement is sort of a test run from government officials to see how best public health officials can contact trace those coming in from the U.S.?
7: I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the room when, you know, political decisions are made, so I can't comment for sure, but given the fact that uh, here in Ontario... Um, our you know, largest and most populous regions like Toronto and Ottawa are having to scale back contact tracing to just targeted environments like schools because they are so overwhelmed with uh, the number of COVID cases that we're having in the second wave, I, I really doubt that the federal government would think now is a time to to test public health capabilities in in contact tracing, because they're just too underfunded and understaffed right now in the places that are hardest hit and also the most popular for travel destinations.
6: So then with that in mind, and we know that uh, likely the the federal government is coming out with uh, an announcement to say whether they're going to be extending the border closure or not. Do you think that a reopening of the border is in the near future at all?
7: It seems very unlikely that the border would be open in the near future. I mean, we are obviously um, deep into our second wave, and the U.S. is already into their third wave, um, and their second wave never really even got back to uh, to where they were before the second wave started. Uh, so it, it would just uh, be very unsafe from a public health perspective to uh, to open the travel um, restrictions right now. And I'm specifically focusing on the U.S. because they are, you know, our largest. Um, economic partner and we have the most ties with them both uh, in terms of businesses and family relations people you know coming and going across the border.
6: So there's been increased reports about a quote-unquote loophole whereby Canadians can basically fly into the U.S. without having to quarantine when they land there. The only place in the U.S. that has a 14-day quarantine rule is Hawaii. Why do you think maybe that that sort of loophole has still remained open? Well, I don't know so much
7: that I would call it a loophole as I would just call it different countries engaging different safety measures um, for their population. So, you know, here in Canada and, you know, many, many other countries, uh, there is a 14-day quarantine when you come in from travel, regardless of where you're coming from. The U.S. largely has not enacted um, that protection measure, um, and there's nothing that, you know, Canada or anyone else can really do about it. So then that does mean that, um, that say, for example, uh, Canadians who travel into the U.S., they're not forced to go into quarantine. Many might take that as a sign that it's safe or just totally unnecessary, uh, to be cautious, um, traveling and they might just, you know, immediately go out into the community and they might either bring infection to wherever they're traveling into the U.S. or they might pick it up and then when they return to Canada, then be very lackadaisical about their quarantine here because they're getting mixed messages essentially between the U.S. and Canada about the importance of that quarantine.
6: Let me just bring in a a scenario here. Let's say someone previously tested positive for COVID, fully recovered prior to traveling. Uh, Must they still quarantine for, for two weeks or can they still be at risk of contracting and spreading the virus again? This could be one of many examples somebody might bring when they get to the border and say, hey, I tested positive before, but you know, I'm fully better now. Do I really have to, you know, still do the full 14 days?
7: Uh, and the answer is yes, and uh, you yeah, know there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first is the possibility of reinfection with COVID, either the same strain or a different strain. In fact, we are actually um, just starting to see now, and I was just reading this morning that there have now been several documented and actual vetted um, cases of people who have become reinfected with COVID. Now, of course, that's really quite rare. Um, you know, it's not something that everybody should be concerned about, you know, in the everyday uh, in their everyday lives. Uh, but it is possible for it to happen. Uh additionally, we can't just take someone's word that they've had COVID and they're now recovered. Um, you know, we have to actually test them to make sure that uh, that they're telling the truth, that they do, in fact, have COVID antibodies. But, of course, these tests aren't necessarily perfect, um, you know, which has been a, a struggle all throughout COVID experience. And, you know, our our nation's testing labs are backlogged with the amount of tests that they have to do. So testing travelers, just because they say they already had COVID or that they definitely don't have COVID and therefore can't have it now is kind of not the best use of resources when these tests need to be used for symptomatic individuals, for people who have been contact traced or who have been identified as um, being at high risk and need to be tested. Um, When you can just, you know, give a blanket statement for all travelers, just quarantine 14 days, it's not really that onerous of a requirement. Like if you really need to be here in Canada, you'll find a way to make it work. If you live here already, it should be that much easier to do
6: all right and i know you don't have a magic crystal ball to give an exact date but how long do you think the borders will be closed for and do you think the economy will be able to withstand the extended border closure well
7: yes of course i mean the economy is always going to take a hit when we have these sorts of restrictions uh but it's about balancing the damage to public health like people's lives and their quality of life um if they do get COVID, but survive, right? Because we are seeing that lots of people do have, um, you know, very long-term and serious um, uh, health problems um, due to COVID. Um, But you have to balance that risk against um, what is ultimately a short-term economic hit. You know, and I know that that seems callous to say in the face of all these small businesses that have been forced to be closed due to shutdowns or restrictions. And, uh, and that is, I mean, it is, kind of wildly unfair, Uh, we just have to hope that our provincial and federal governments provide enough support and funding for uh, particularly small businesses and individuals to to make it through these restrictions so that we can weather the storm, the economic storm, uh, without actually having to sacrifice people's lives in order to make that happen. And as for how long it might last, well, truly, I don't know. You know, several months ago, I predicted that the second wave wouldn't be as bad as the first because people would be smarter and more cautious. About what they do, and that the government would hopefully respond quickly um, again, um, as they they did with the first wave. But uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, here in Ontario and Quebec. Um, that that just really hasn't been the case.
6: All right, and we are still looking to see if the border closure between Canada and the U.S. will be short-term or long-term. But, of course, joining me today to talk about uh, the impact of the Canada-U.S. border closure is Associate Professor of Industrial Engineering at UFT, Deanna Allman.
3: Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Coming up, the creative ways to enjoy Halloween with the kids. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region.
5: Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region and Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region.
3: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Just about every holiday has been different in 2020. Halloween, no exception. Jim Lang with how parents plan to make the spooky day safe and
1: memorable. Well, the countdown to Halloween is on. It's a big time in our household. It's a big time here at the radio station. It's a big time for millions of Canadians. And an amazing new poll done by Abacus Data Survey indicates that 8 in 10 Canadian parents plan to celebrate Halloween safely and creatively with their kids this year. And that probably is the key word, creatively, to talk more about it. Thrilled to be speaking with the CEO of Abacus Data, David Coletto. David, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, I mean, this is something, it's funny, my wife and I were just having this conversation, because Halloween is, we're, we're always excited about it, but how do we do it this year? What are some of the main key points you've got from the survey that people are trying to get around the, the fear of COVID and still celebrate Halloween? Well, I think that's, that's this, this
8: uh, you know, fluidity of the situation right now, right, is that most Canadians, three and four, say they love Halloween, so they're like you and your your partner, um, and and as you said, 81% of parents say they plan to to celebrate Halloween in some way. So there's a broad understanding and a feeling that Halloween's you know a, a special time for many people. It's it's fun, but it's the first one in which we're going to be doing this during a pandemic and at a time when in fact Canadians, Ontarians. Those living in the GTA are feeling more anxious about the pandemic. We've, we've been tracking this in other research. And so this, this dual, two sides of the coin, I think, are going to be affecting the choices people make. But what we find in our research is that people are looking for creative ways, right, that that they think that, you know, trick-or-treating can be done in a safe way. Um, I, even this morning I was, I was hearing um, some examples, you know, getting a, a PVC pipe, and running it from your front door just down your, if you live, if you have a house, down the stairs and just sort of dropping candy down it and sort of like a, like a, like a funnel or a slide. That's brilliant. Uh, to separate, you know, yourself from kids. Parents setting up outdoor kind of, instead of, you know, during Easter you do a, a an egg hunt, you set up a glow in the dark kind of treat hunt in your backyard and, and do it in a, in a safe way. So I, I think, I think we're seeing that, that, that anxiety is there, but that, like many things in our lives today, we're finding we're trying to find ways of doing it safely and not and not taking away those those small joys that, that a holiday like Halloween brings us almost every year.
1: Well, especially for kids. And it, it is amazing that the numbers from your survey, uh, they're quite startling, especially parents with kids under the age of 18, how important Halloween it is to them. I know our kids are older now, but when those younger kids come to the door, my wife and I, we get excited at the costumes and the joy in their face in Halloween. And we are thinking, well, do we put the treats in a little bag and hand it to them at a hockey stick? Because we want them to experience that fun of Halloween, but to keep them safe at the same time.
8: Exactly. And, and, there's a, and there's a recognition in our survey, half of Canadians, three-quarters of those who love Halloween say finding a way to celebrate it this year more than any other year is important because so much of what we kind of took for granted before the pandemic um, is gone. And so I think, I think you, you have this desire to find a way to make this work this year, to, to do things that while safe, also brings some joy to, to those kids who, you know, have had their lives upended. School's not the same. Their ability to hang out with their friends is not the same. You know, Halloween is something that they all look forward to, and parents are going to, I think they're going to p- try to find a way to make it work. It's not going to be the same, but you're going to find lots who, who, who really are trying to find creative ways of, of making it safe and, and fun for their kids
1: speaking with David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data, and you you touched on a great point, not taking things for granted. That's one thing I've noticed over the last couple of months, David, and I'm curious in your research, not just Halloween, but overall for all things Canadians, that little things that we just, ah, whatever, now no, we don't want to miss out on it. Yeah, there's this,
8: you know, we we see glimpses of it in the different research we do, the sense that, first of all, the simple things in life um, are even more meaningful, and, and people are looking to simplify their lives, which also means again, those things that we once took for granted or we just kind of went through the motion, um, I think more of us are, are appreciative of those. And, and we're kind of cherishing those rare moments these days where you get to, you know, interact with people you haven't seen in a while or um, celebrate a special milestone. I think these are the times during a crisis like this where we really do appreciate it. And so I, 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 think, I think there is this sense, not among everybody, but among i think more people than usual that they're looking for for ways of you know looking at the bright side of what has been a very challenging and and not a lot of bright side to look at over the last 6 months
1: and, and some of the um, the research and some of the information you glean from your all your data and everything david it, it is interesting and it is points to the fact that i find people are maybe decorating their home for fall Uh, for people who walk or drive by a little bit more, and that'll be the same case for Halloween. Maybe some extra decorations just to get in that Halloween spirit so that we all feel it in our uh, local neighborhoods.
8: Well, we know in in our consumer research that people are spending, because we've been asked to and almost forced to, spend way more time at home, right? So if you look at spending on things like home renovations or furniture or electronics for the home, they're way up. People are you know, trying to make home as comfortable as possible, I also think you're going to see, um, you know, people spending more on, on on Halloween decorations, less for maybe those who don't live in the home and more for people who do to make it feel like, you know, it's changing and there's something different. And and I suspect, you know, as we get closer to Christmas, the same kind of thing is going to happen. So these holidays, as we spend more time at home, um, it's probably the one area where we, I think, are going to feel a little more comfortable spending some money because it's spending so much time inside.
1: And you know, David, it's it's something I know we did as a family for Thanksgiving, and a lot of people have gotten used to the FaceTime and Skype and Zoom, and that virtual connection to maybe grandparents or other family or friends on Halloween will be just as important so we can all see each other and what each other has on for their costume. Yeah, and we,
8: we saw that, you know, we did some research early on in the pandemic about how many people. You know, we're we're doing Zoom or FaceTime calls with family. You know, having Thanksgiving dinner even over over Zoom, and, and you know, millions of Canadians are doing it in ways that they they haven't. But and I think it's driven by that desire for connection. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see, you know, grandparents may not be able to see their kids in person, friends may not be able to gather, um, you know, in in the communities like they usually do. But I think you're going to find far more virtual type events to try to, while they can't replace that physical experience, um, it, it's certainly one way to, to make kids and, and all of us feel a little more connected to our community.
1: And it's a great way to make the best of what sometimes is a difficult situation. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data, talking about the fact that almost 80% of Canadian parents plan to celebrate Halloween safely, and that keyword, creatively, with their kids is here to make this a maybe a Halloween to remember. David, thank you so much for your insight and all the best and good health to you and the family.
8: Thanks so much. Have a great one.
1: You too.
3: Well, the pandemic has taught us to appreciate what we have and help where we can. There are those in our own community who continue to put their talents to good use. Tina Cortez now with the Goalkeepers
0: Foundation. Karen Chapman is a Canadian filmmaker, storyteller, and director, and she joins us next on the feed. Karen, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Tina. Can you tell me a little bit about this project with the Gates Goalkeeper Foundation and your work with Bill and Melinda Gates? That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, quite quite a surprise, to be honest,
9: um, but I, I recently signed with Bella TV which uh, is a new uh Toronto production company built uh, by Julie and Christian Lutz, better known as Director X and uh partner Taj Kirkshaw and um it's They started Sella. they kind of uh born born in, in out of necessity and, and out of uh out of true creativity and just try to um take on the ambitious goal of 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 shaking up Canadian advertising. Um, and making sure that more more black folks are behind creative talent, to be to be really frank. And so, I very recently jumped in and signed on with with Fela when when Taj uh, called me about about the Gates Foundation um, pitch. And so, of course, I'd never done anything like this before. And um, so, it was such a such an honor that um, that they did like the pitch, and we were running. We decided we, should, we just ran because we did not have a lot of time. We kind of put everything together. And I would say a little under two weeks. Um, and so it was an international uh, film. And so we shot here in Toronto. We shot in uh, in Nairobi. And we shot in Mumbai. So three continents, three time zones, three crews, um, three days. So it was quite the challenge. Um, and um, WhatsApp was a very big help. <laughs> and... Um, We go out of WhatsApp, a lot of storyboards, and a lot of teamwork, to be really honest. A lot of teamwork.
0: So, what's the name of this short film? The Goalkeepers Campaign for 2020. All right, so it's the Goalkeepers Campaign for 2020. You mentioned Nairobi, Mumbai, but what's the Toronto connection, and specifically right here in Vaughan? Lincoln. Lincoln Lincoln. Haggard. (laughs)
9: A thirteen year old virtuoso from Bonn. Um, he's got such a beautiful talent and such amazing parents and who pushed and encouraged him. And so uh Lincoln uh lent his talent He's in the film and that he's he's volunteering time um playing for a long term care facility center. And also his music is in the soundtrack for the film that was that was created by uh, our composer Jason Coos.
0: Wow, he's spectacular, so talented, and yes, such a lovely family. Tell me about your visit to Nairobi and Mumbai as well.
9: So, that's
0: actually an interesting
9: story because I've never been to either place. Uh, so, we use the power of the internet and, and WhatsApp to literally, and a lot of storyboards to just basically try to uh, create uh, like a seamless uh, story in all three stories, uh, but I didn't actually physically go there, so... It was the first time that I'd ever virtually directed anything as well, which is, um, I guess, given our time, like a necessity.
0: And tell us about those two stories. One of them involved a designer. The other one was more of a a citizen group that came together. That's right.
9: Uh, So in in Mumbai, there's an organization um, called Kanachai, and they're an astonishing uh, organization. So when Mumbai shut down, Many folks were stranded and trapped, and they couldn't get home, and they couldn't get to where they needed to go. and And this group just sprung into action. They've delivered like thousands, hundreds of thousands of meals. Kind of, the kitchen that we were we were filming out of, uh, their average is 2,000 meals daily that they make sure that they get out to folks. And okay. so they're just they're doing such extraordinary work, and they're constantly changing to meet the needs of. Of uh, their community, and it, it's astonishing to watch. And also, David, uh, David a designer in Nairobi who so talented. Like everything that you see him wearing, he he made himself. Like even the bags that he's takes to deliver the mask in these beautiful bags. But the super talented man just found himself in a position um, that he could do something about it, and so get all this fabric and decided, like, in a place like Kibera where you can't necessarily socially distance,
5: um,
9: his mask could help, and so that's that's, that's what he did. He, out of, out of his own pocket um, and of his own volition, he just decided that he would help as many people as possible, and his story's is quite astonishing.
0: Did you get to meet or chat with or connect with Bill or Melinda Gates?
9: Um, yes, we've been working through the foundation, so I've never actually met them personally, but they did... They did. Um, I did see that that Melinda Gates posted the film, which was which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was made with a lot of heart and a lot of, a lot of heart. So we're glad that it's um, that it's effective
0: and that people are moved by it. We're thrilled to see Lincoln as a part of it. Where can our listeners watch this short film?
9: They can actually see it um, online. Um, it's on YouTube it's at uh, you Gold Goalkeepers 2020 um, it's on the Bill and Melinda Gates and the, the Gates Foundation um, site well um, and I'm pretty sure it's tagged on my social media and, and I'm, I'm very thankful that your station will also <laughs> your station will also help to encourage folks to watch it as well Tina
0: we absolutely will Karen Chapman thank you for joining us on the feed we really need to remember her name. She's going to be a director that we're going to be able to follow for many years to come. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Tina. I appreciate it. If you missed any
3: part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.